This is Richard Fordham with the second of Vesuvius's podcasts, available on Spotify Podcast, Apple Podcast, and Anchor Podcast, and the latter of which is where you may leave any comments. Now, this podcast is going to be about an old friend of mine called Roy Kulbach, K-A-U-L-B-A-C-K. He came from a long line of German nobility, but when I met him, he was an utter dropout. I was teaching at Cambridge University, and he came along because he'd been sent down for a year for, for dealing in drugs, which wasn't very fashionable at the time. He'd been at Pembroke College, but he had a very hard time. And so he came in, this uh, Slavic-looking fellow, with a long face and a charming manner. His mother was Russian. His his father was this Germanic baron or something like that. And uh, he was utterly charming, and I was very uh, uh, taken with him. And I taught him for several years and managed to get him a degree, which is very difficult to do because he was taking drugs and stuff, and so he wasn't very focused, but he was very intelligent. So he managed to get a degree, and it was all really because I'd trained him and drilled him and made sure he did his exams. And then I carried on knowing him for the next 50 years till he died, perhaps 40. Anyway, he died, poor fellow, because he'd done an awful lot of drugs and this, that and the other. But then he, I used to go and visit his parents. They lived in Cadogan Gardens in Chelsea. And he was a major, no, Colonel Callback, was a very grand gentleman dressed in knee breeches. And uh, he ran this hotel called, I think, I can't remember, Sapphire or some such name, which is the name of his Russian wife. And the Russian wife was very uh, Slavic-looking, and she, he was, she was responsible for his Slavic looks. And I used to go and visit there, and they were terribly respectful to me because all of Roy's friends were druggy, hang out, drop out, God knows what's it, and I was a respectable chap. And so they were very keen on me as being a respectful chap. So I got to see that I went to visit them quite a few times down there. And then uh, at some point I lost touch with him uh, because his parents sold the hotel in Cadogan Gardens then moved God knows to where, uh, eventually I think up, up to Lincolnshire somewhere. And I managed to find them by sheer chance because I'd known he'd gone to a place in East Anglia and I went to that place and said, do you know of anyone called Callback? And they said, oh yes, we know who he was, he's gone wherever he is. So I got in touch with Roy. Now Roy turned out to have, when he'd graduated, his father said, look, you're completely spineless and a hopeless wreck. Go and join the South African Parachute Regiment. Now that's an extremely hard school, as you can imagine. A parachute regiment doesn't take people on lightly, and when it takes them on, it makes them do an awful lot of work. And so he joined this outfit. And then he was seconded to work in Rhodesia, which is now Zimbabwe, but he worked in Rhodesia. Um, and he wrote me a letter uh, when he'd left there from Durban, which I still got, a very long letter, and it was uh, very um, memorable, in that he said, look, I've uh, I've come out here and I'm now in Rhodesia and I've got a, a Land Rover with a machine gun on it and I'm going out to shoot the, uh, whatever they called anyone who was a rebel against the... Uh, Rhodesian cause. The Rhodesians were whites only government, which was obviously doomed in a country where the whites were about 10% of the population. But nevertheless, they carried on for many years. There was a chap called Ian Smith, who was the um, 
it was UDI, Unilateral Declaration of Independence, that they had. And so they ran the country for about 10 or 20 years uh, before it all ran out of steam. And Roy was part of their army, basically, keeping the peace, going around with a machine gun, shooting people. And I remember he said in his letter, this is not a job for anyone, but actually for a chap with no morals and a nice idea of the open air, it's a very fun thing to drive along with a machine gun on your, on your Land Rover and shoot anyone who looked like they're kind of not doing the right thing. And he did that for some years. And he wrote me this letter all about... He, he detailed the story of his life, which was quite a unusual one. And he, he eventually... Uh, Ian Smith gave up and Roy went back to Durban, which is South Africa, which is still relatively safe in those days, and wrote me this letter. And I then next met him when he came to London um, after he'd been kicked out of the South African Parachute Regiment for reasons I don't know, but I imagine they were bad. And he came and visited me in the Travellers Club in, in London and he was oozing aggression. He, he was very dangerous. Like he, he was really quite a dangerous character at that time and could have killed anyone at the drop of a hat. But I managed to stay, uh, keep him calm and <laughs> stay on the good side of him because I was very fond of him. He's a very nice chap. And I always liked him. Um, when I was... Oh, that reminds me. When he was an undergraduate... this is I'm sorry, it's a flashback to 10 or so, 15 years earlier... Um, he used to come to parties I gave in my college, Peterhouse, and he had this fantastically attractive girlfriend, which he uh, he seemed to treat as neither here nor there. She came to these parties, and when the undergraduates, other male undergraduates, saw him, they were completely overtaken with uh, lust and couldn't possibly keep their hands off him. Uh, but obviously Roy was in charge, and so he came sashaying in, looking all Slavic and handsome, and managed to keep them at bay. But he was extraordinarily dashing and attractive at that time, in his early 20s, I suppose he was. And um, that was that. But then when he came back from South Africa, uh, 10 years or 20 years earlier, uh, later on, I mean, he was a bit more battered. But he was still very elegant. And he carried on uh, living in London. And um, when I finally, I, I lost touch with him, as I say, when his parents sold the hotel and moved off to who knows where, I discovered them up in Lincolnshire and got in touch with Roy. And Roy came down and visited me in London and uh, we had dinner and this and the other. And um, he'd by this time taken up being um, at, uh, a sort of, uh, uh, what is the word? He was safeguarding the, 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 the property of people out in uh, far distant places by shooting. Uh, he, he went to Afghanistan and shot the wrong people, as he saw them as being anyway. Um, and he also went out to the Amazon basin and shot people who were doing things that weren't in the line of duty for uh, whoever he disapproved of. And he ended up also shooting people in West Africa. And he lived in the Ivory Coast for a number of years. And he had a girlfriend there and a child even. But um, unfortunately, the girlfriend's husband came back from wherever he was and said he'd shoot Roy uh, if he had anything to do with this girl. So he had to lay off the girl. But uh, the girl had a child by him and he was always rather sad. He never saw the son. But he had this extraordinarily colourful background of having worked in Afghanistan when it was overrun by the Russians. But he was fighting on behalf of, I think, the West in some way or another and acting as a kind of... um, investigating journalists, I think, was his facade. But he actually seemed to shoot people if they got in his way. And the same was true 
in the Amazon uh, where he was fighting against, I don't know who the heck it was, but certainly he was um, uh, trying to save people from being bumped off. Um, I know that uh, I discovered when I went to his memorial service, Paul the Fort chap died of all these various drugs he'd taken, um, I met this extraordinary man who was a very famous paratrooper in South Africa and in worldwide, if you mention his name to paratroopers, they all know him because he, by the time I met him, he was a bit of a battered wreck because he dropped out of a helicopter only about 100 feet above the ground, so he was all smashed up. But he was the most vainglorious and wonderful paratrooper of all time and Roy had worked at his command and he had a great respect for this man, Sergeant Fred or whatever he was called. He was an extraordinarily powerful fellow and um, Roy had worked with him and for him and had a great admiration for him and um, he carried on and but unfortunately along the line he was ever so slightly gay I think uh, he was kind of hetero and gay a mixture all sorts of things but he had hepatitis B or C whichever the bad one is hepatitis C I think and um, so he wasn't very well when he was out in uh, West Africa doing guard duty for countries out there, uh, which was a quite lucrative activity, and he carried on doing it for some years. He had to come back to England, uh, and he had this glamorous Norwegian girlfriend at the time, I remember, because I had dinner with them. But uh, he also had hepatitis C or something, and uh, he went for medical... Uh, he had to go for, to hospital, and the poor chap spent years in hospital being cured, or rather not cured, as the case may be. And so he ended up living in... Um, Lincolnshire, uh, where his parents lived. And I remember going there uh, to visit him and his uh, parents. His parents, this, this Russian mother, was terribly indulgent of him. And the father, I'm afraid, was not at all a good disciplinarian, which is why Roy was a bit of a wreck himself. Uh, but the, the the father was the most wonderful man, uh, Colonel Callback. Um, he'd been in the early 30s, um, a sort of intelligence officer in North Africa. And he said, I set off one day from uh, somewhere like Nairobi going west and um, I followed the tracks of an elephant until I found, in fact, the elephant herder. And the elephant herder told me, oh, you need to go this way. And so he and the elephant herder went that way. And they marched across a huge amount of the Sahara, North Africa. And in the course of this, they came to a wadi, which is a place where there's some water, and above that wadi there was a mountain, and in the mountain there was a lake, and in the lake there was a crocodile. Now this was a thousand miles away from the nearest sea or water of any kind, Egypt in fact, uh, so it's a thousand miles away from anywhere, and so this crocodile he supposed, Colonel Callback supposed, had been there for thousands of years sitting in this lake, um, just presumably originally with several other crocodiles breeding, but it, was, it ended up with just one crocodile back in the early 30s, sitting in this lake, doing the best it could uh, to survive. But it was an extraordinary story. And I don't know, I don't think any uh, anthropologist or archaeologist got onto the story because the, the lake was for unknown to most people. He'd gone across North Africa and found it in the middle of nowhere. And uh, he carried on then to um, over to Morocco and so on, finished his job. But he was married several times, Colonel Callback, and the last one was this Russian lady, which was a disaster as far as I was concerned, because Roy's mother was a pain in the ass, because she was so indulgent and sort of um, a pain in the neck, I'd say, really, because she, she spoiled him to the power of ten, and that's why he was 
himself not quite stable. But anyway, I remember going to have lunch with him, the Colonel Corvac, and his wife and Roy. And the Colonel had made this curry, and he made a curry that was the most delicious curry I've ever had in my life, and I've had a few. But he started off on Monday making the ingredients, and he worked out through Monday to Saturday when we consumed it, and it was wonderful. And I don't know what he'd done, but over five days or so he'd been making it. It was a kind of creation, a work of art, and the taste was fantastic. God knows what he put into it, but it was wonderful. Uh, the uh, the downside of that was that um, Roy was a, a terribly spoiled child and he lost his temper with his parents and smashed into a door and got a, a splinter into his hand. So I had to drive him down to Peterborough Hospital, have the splinter taken out of his hand so he could go back and have lunch, which was a slightly unusual way of having lunch. So we went back to uh, wherever it was and had lunch. And um, I carried on. I mean, the colonel died a few years afterwards and the mother lived on most unfortunately. I'm, I don't like to say that because one doesn't wish anyone dead. But Mrs. Callback was a uh, sudden death for Roy. Uh, he had a story, I remember, that he, he thought, because I told him, look, you're completely abnormal and your, your relationship with the mother is extremely poor. And so he went to find, a, I don't know, a psychologist, psycho, psychoanalyst, something like that. And he went to see this person with his mother and the lady was so distraught by meeting them that she retired and refused to do any more of the work she did forever afterwards because the effect of Roy and his mother so was so horrific because they were a, a frightening pair together. And um, I used to go and visit Roy still up in uh, Lincolnshire every now and then. He was always very entertaining and full of fun. But um, he was also suffered from this dreadful mother who he seemed to have run his life and uh, indeed ran his life up until the end of it. Uh, the sad thing is, he came down to various parties I had, and he was always very debonair and uh, chic and was very amusing. Uh, he was he took the most uh, powerful uh, of uh, cannabis there was, and in fact one of my friends uh, at a party uh, accepted a spliff from Roy, which knocked him out to the point where he lay down in a flower bed and passed out for about six hours. Uh, Roy could take extraordinarily strong um, cannabis because of having done so for a long time. He had, I think, been a heroin addict at one point, but uh, I didn't really know him during his heroin phase. He did actually act in a musical I wrote um, called uh, Zeus is the King, and he sang a song about... Uh, I wish I could remember the song now... But he didn't. He did it. It was a fit, it was a rather fatalistic song about uh, oh time to kill. It was called time to kill, time to kill. And Roy was quite the man to do that because he had this satanic appearance, and he made a very good job of time to kill, as I recall. I'm sorry to say that the podcast went slightly screwy there, so we'll have to terminate it at that point. But do leave a comment on Anchor, and we'll see you next time.